Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwest Five podcast. I'm John Clary, Director of Software Development at 360 Insights, and I've got with me Zach Giorgio, the co-founder of Chroma Recruitment. Hi, Zach. Hi, John. How's it going? Very good, mate. How are you? Good. Back again. Back got again. A really interesting guest today. Who have we got? We've got Sabine Douglas from Centrip Music, who I've known for a very long time who I worked with many, many years ago, who's been on the Manchester tech scene for a number of years as well. Uh, and now she's involved with Centric Music. So there you go. Hi, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, it feels like a long time ago, actually, the Manchester side of things. I've been over, over in Liverpool now for coming up to four years at Centric. So yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for coming on, Sabine. Can I start off maybe by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself and your journey into the role you're in now? Of course, absolutely. So um, as Zach mentioned, uh, I work at Centric Music. Centric Music are a music publisher based over in Liverpool. Uh, Personally, myself, so I came at things more from the tech side. So I started um, at Apadme, who are an apps firm over in Manchester, where I was there partner manager so I worked with various companies ranging from um, you know the BBC the Guardian people like that looking at their mobile app strategy with them and the implementation of those uh, then I ended up joining a startup actually that had been funded by Universal Music and the Northwest Tech Fund called Beatroots which was a music licensing platform so I very much approached things from the tech side there looking at the products and partners and the proposition and how we were going to go to market and actually Centric, who I work for now, were one of my clients there. I was there for about two and a half years and that company actually ended up being sold to um, a music business over in Memphis where I wasn't overly keen on either commuting or transferring over to. So I actually ended up joining Centric. Uh, Originally joined them looking at their technology team and the proposition there called RightsApp um, or here, should I say. And I joined as head of products and partners and rights app. And over the last two years, I've transitioned more into the overall business operations side. So I'm head of business operations now, looking at the business as a whole. Excellent. Yeah, great stuff. So what um, what is it about Centric Music that really like attracted you? It's obviously, there's a lot going on. It's quite an interesting business, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, it's a business that's changed a lot and has really catapulted really in terms of numbers on a lot of fronts um but what attracted me about centric originally is i think it's really um not quite sure how to say this without sort of poking too many daggers at people but it's quite easy to say that people put clients first or artists first but genuinely centric is the artist first music business Um, you know they have the fairest publishing deal in the industry that's backed up by the type of people that work there and everything's transparent but they are very invested and focused on new developments new innovation so it's a really good combination really I mean that's that's really interesting isn't it because I I mean I'm not that afraid with the music industry but I you know anyone I guess who knows anything about what Spotify do and what the other companies do is you know particularly smaller artists don't really get much out of it and is that like where centric are sort of king 
Absolutely. So it's a funny one, really. Publishing is probably the less glamorous side of the music industry, which is why not too many people know about it. Um, yeah, it's definitely more not as sexy as some of the other stuff that goes on, um, but it's where we can really add value money and royalties wise to artists and it can fund a lot of their career. So, um, you know, a lot of artists and up and coming artists don't really understand what publishing does and how it adds value to them in their career. And that's where Centric comes in because there's, there's no barriers to entry for artists. Any artist can sign up at any level and immediately start earning royalties that they actually weren't aware were already owed to them. You know, publishing royalties are generated every time an artist performs or, you know, they've written a piece of music or a copyright and that's streamed, downloaded, played anywhere, performed live, whether they're even that's at, you know, the corner pub as such, they're owed those royalties and Centric collects those for them on their behalf in the most fair way possible. It's really interesting. Obviously, you've been on quite a journey and I'm, I'm interested to find out a little bit more about Centric and you maybe can talk to us a little bit about the tech and what's happening there in addition to what you're actually doing there at the moment. But just going back to you for a little bit, Sabine. So we moved into the tech world several years ago now. Um, and I think, were you involved in right at the start of women in tech in the Northwest? I didn't, there wasn't really any of the initiatives when I had started in tech. Um, I remember when I was at Apadme, I, I made a list that was something like 30 most influential women in mobile. And I remember uh, one of our directors at the time having a laugh with me because both myself and our marketing manager, Hannah, at the time made the list. And they were like, is there even 30 women in mobile at this stage? Um, so yeah, there, there wasn't really the... I would say the support or the even the awareness that there is nowadays. Um, I have always been a huge advocate of women in tech, as, as you know, Zach, but I wasn't so involved in that. I think I was just sort of potentially quite keen to make sure that things were at least a level playing field when I was involved in the events and things like that. So, Spin, I've got a question. I mean, we just obviously covered off about where women in tech was back yeah, going back, I don't know, maybe 10 years. I don't know exactly how long that, that was when you were trying to create that list. What, what's changed in that time in your mind that has made it more of a, uh, brought it to the front and, you know, sort of raised the profile of it? What do you think is, has, has been the driver for that? I think um, it's something that's for me, was driven originally by looking at, equality and diversity as a whole within business and tech historically had always been one that was significantly behind you know when I was working for a development company who I've just previously mentioned they didn't have any developers that were female for a development company and then by the end of the four or five year period that I was there you know they had made a real exerted effort on the recruitment front but it had originally led back to the old problem of attracting women to STEM careers anyway. Um, there's been a lot of foundational work that has been put in at school level, you know, A-levels, attracting people at university level, and then things like apprenticeship degrees and North Coders, et cetera, have really done a good job in leveling the playing field. We're really starting to see that come through more now. Um, really interesting because obviously that's from where we were to where we are. What I want to try and understand is what do you think has been the biggest change in tech over the 
past X amount of years. Is it is it the the, the level or is it just the sheer investment that's gone into it? How do you think it's changed? What do you think it looks like now compared to what it did? I think it's significantly different. When I started in tech, there was so many sort of big, cumbersome, bespoke um, issues and challenges that businesses and development companies were facing and things you know it really hindered the ability to be reactive or to be quick to market or you know make significant changes that would have impact whereas now there's so many tools and um technology is just a lot more accessible to a lot more people so with the likes of you know even from the basic level squarespace where you don't have to go to a developer to develop a website anymore and same with things like apps and the white label ability of them and um, you know, even us as a business, we use tools and technology and reporting systems and data in a way that's interchangeable, is built with scalability in mind. So we don't face the problems that we historically have done. And, you know, Centric as a business has absolutely faced them. We are five years into rebuilding a system that we had originally built for artists that you know, if we try and change anything now on that system, you flush the toilet and the front door falls off. As our CEO describes it, it is horrendous. Um, and we had to start from scratch with the new world and the new tools and the new technology in mind. And it's been a great exercise, but yeah, that's how I think it's changed. I think a lot of businesses now are realizing that they are a tech industry. They're in the tech industry, not just in a music industry or, you know, selling brass pipes industry, whatever your industry of old was, you're now a tech company as well. And whether that means just getting on board with using tech appropriately, like having a web presence and having an e-store, but also going, well, what, what differentiates us from our competitors? Um, you know, the platform is a classic example that you're building, that, that that makes you stand out head and shoulders above your competitors. And I'm sure you've got competitors who are doing doing same and same kind of stuff, but you know, your platform is different. So it's, and it's, you got your own brand on it. It's your own, you put your mark on it. So I think that's a big, for me, my point of view, tech is uh, prevalent everywhere in every business now. And they're just. Yeah. yeah. And we get asked all the time if we're a music business or a technology business. Um, we are a music business that is entirely underpinned by technology. We would not be able to scale. We work with, I think it's over, um, coming up to 300,000 artists, over two and a half million songs and copyrights that we look after and collect royalties for at scale. Um, there's no way we could do that with a team of 80 people had we not had our entire team underpinned by the technology that we have. I think the difference for me with Centric to um, potentially some of our competitors is that we make our technology available to other publishers, which is what WritesApp is. So we have developed this technology not just with us in mind, but with the publishing industry in mind, because if we want things to get better, they've got to get better for everybody and they've got to get better at the fundamental um, industry level. And we've got to raise the standards there in order for it to be better for us and the artists and everybody else who should be benefiting from it, but isn't necessarily due to the levels of speed and transparency and all the things that come with not having great technology. So when we when we spoke before this uh, podcast, Sabina, you told me about something called predictive royalties. So can you tell me a bit about that and why that's why that's so important in your industry? 
Of course, yeah. So with publishing, um, you know, you have the recording side of the music industry, which a lot of people know about, which is, um, you know, buying albums, buying, um, not buying, sorry, streaming um, the digital side of things. And that side of things has suffered and what people see has suffered because you're not buying albums anymore, you're streaming and you don't necessarily have to go to a record label in order to get your music onto streaming services and available to consumers. The publishing side is completely different. So we look after songwriters and their royalties and um, anybody who writes a composition or a piece of music that is used, we look after collecting that for them. With that in mind, the royalties that are generated um, are generated at different rates under different circumstances and variations in every single territory around the world. So as a songwriter, if you wanted to collect your royalties, you would have to register with your domestic territory, which for us um, in England or the UK would be the PRS. They would then go out to every other um, PRO, the core performance royalty organization, um, and collect those royalties on your behalf. And you're relying on someone really who looks after you but also might look after Ed Sheeran um, and your value might be significantly less than them so their vested interest and what they have available to them understandably um, is slightly slower may not be as much so centric we are direct with all um, these organizations around the world but inevitably we get reported to and we get paid for our artists or our artists get paid retrospectively and I don't think people really are aware of how slow publishing can be. The minimum length, really. So say your song is streamed on Spotify, you're entitled to publishing royalties for that. Um, you would be looking at a minimum, really, of nine months before that starts to come through. We are receiving royalties now from certain platforms, um, you know, streaming platforms, digital platforms, you know, organisations around the world for music that was played four or five years ago. The problem is with that as well as we don't know what we're going to be paid until we are paid. So every quarter or month or whenever we receive statements from around the world or an artist, if you think, you know, you three are in a band here, <laughs> um, you've been gigging for the last couple of years, you've been, you know, put things on streaming services, you've had your music played on Hollyoaks, um, so you wrote some TV royalties, etc. You will receive a statement in, I don't know, a year, 18 months time. And you have no idea what's in that statement. You don't know what's coming. As a publisher, we don't get the visibility, really. The years of experience that we have and the data sets that we do have have enabled us to put together predictive royalties as such to say, you know, we think based on this activity that you've generated, your next statement's going to look like this. And here's the pipeline that you're looking at, which is actually totally unique. You know, it's something that we spent a lot of time and looked at a lot of data at to get to that point. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of what's unique about us in that sense. Fascinating, isn't it? You never, you never know how much goes into it or how the money comes through. It's fascinating. So I suppose, obviously, you, you know, for yourself, you know, you, you move from, from Beetroot to, to Centric and you're now business operations for a massive international company. What's the biggest challenge that you face? How do you deal with stuff? Is, is it a challenge every day? Is it different because of different parts of the world? And obviously with the amount of people that you're working with as well. Did you say 300,000 artists earlier? Yeah, on? yeah. I mean, you know, it must be incredibly challenging. It is. Um, and the challenges that we face change 
all the time as you can expect you know we have internal challenges of scaling and the technology and the implementation and migrations we have external challenges of looking at new markets and territories and how best to create presence and support there um one particular challenge that we're working on and I wouldn't say it's so much a challenge but a change that we've had to make is you know what if I talk about what I'm currently working on is we are migrating everybody from our previous system onto our new system to allow us to give artists more visibility, transparency, et cetera, as well as our teams do things in a much more efficient way. We're halfway through migration at the moment, which comes with, it's challenging working on a number of systems. It's working, it's fine, we've got a great team. But aside from that, we have invested a lot the last couple of years in staff and specialist skills, headcount, you know, we've got quite a significant development team now internally. We have looked at really niche things like activity tracking. So making sure that we are using our predictive royalties and our royalty calculations that we are claiming exactly what we think we should be claiming. But we've invested in a lot and we've put together a really solid team structure um, headquartered out of Liverpool. And whilst we really go on a, the acquisition path of clients, catalogue, etc in other territories that comes inevitably with international growth challenges so whether that's people processes technology um luckily it's all stuff that as a business we've been able to adapt to pretty quickly but it it changes regularly what you know there's no one big significant problem for us in this especially in business operations so i i'm just imagining in your role there's a, a lot of plate spinning going on there's a lot of different you're not just in one doing one thing, right? You're not like head of technology focusing on the platform or something like that. There's a lot of different areas of the those migrations that you talked about, the territories and so on and so forth. So do you do you consciously have to limit what you're focusing on so that it gets done? Or do you try to spin up new initiatives, you know, when you see a value? How do, how do you manage those priorities? Yeah, so... Um... It's a difficult one without my Zach will probably attest to this, but my one skill is remembering absolutely everything that I've said to anybody ever. Wow. <laughs> so, I, that's, I'm seriously impressed because I can't remember what the question I asked you 10 minutes yeah. ago. Actually, you should be on this podcast. Zach and I forget questions all the time. Don't we? So actually, you would be amazing. One of I us wish has I had said that. No, actually, somebody's <laughs> definitely going to come back to me and say something. Wow. Generally speaking, the way that my brain processes things is that I, you know, somebody can ask me a question and I can very quickly recall and context switch as to where things are up to. Um, I spin a lot of plates, but the plates that I spin are very well prioritized and determined. We have a very good board and senior management and management exec team, et cetera, who are very clear on what the priorities of the business are, where we want to go. And my job in essence, or how I see things working and I work with our CEO is we look at where is the desired state of where we would like to be as a business what is the actual and then my job is to get us from you know the actual to desired operationally we have very good people on you know the strategy side and the business development and the um, acquisition side and then delivery teams um, you know I'm operationally looking at things like resource implementation what tools and technologies do we need do we have the right people in the right places, budgets, that sort of thing? So it doesn't sound like you purposefully limit work in progress, but you do have this board who, you know, have a clear focus where they want to be. And that is what you're drilling down on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And the, the great thing about the team at Centric is it's very, um, I hate the word dynamic, but very um, agile in that sense. Our development team are completely agile, but we take those practices across the business. If I wanted to make, or I am in the process of making quite a significant change from one of the tools that we use and we aren't a business that are in the business of saying no there's always an opportunity and we always look at things that can make us improve we're happy to invest the costs we're happy to invest the resource you know if it's viable for us and is going to improve and I think that's a really good mindset to have you know there aren't people sat there thinking oh I'm gonna have to go and get a PO and then I'm gonna have to speak to finance and don't get me wrong we've got the processes and infrastructure that means things are considered um but you know there's been a number of occasions that I've thought oh God, this is a bit of a pundit, but it's come off and it's played out well because the board and, and Centric do take risks. Um, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, you know, going back to, you know, the music industry changed substantially over the years, haven't they? From buying singles to, to, to record albums, CDs, Blu-rays and, you know, all that type of stuff, moving the right the way through to, you know, uh, uh, I mean, are iPods even a thing anymore? People have got iPhones now, <laughs> yeah, but you know, iPods, everyone was buying iPods, weren't mm-hmm. they? And you can pick them up just... in, the, in the vintage shops now. So. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> They're going to be uh, gentrified, aren't they? Everyone's going to start using them again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, obviously, there's, there's so much change there. Tell us a little bit about the tech that's happening at Centric and what you're using and, and why is it a, it's a cool place from a tech perspective to join. Of course, yeah. Um, so I'll start with why it's not a cool place and everything that every time we interview someone to join the development team, I throw this out there straight away, is that we do all this amazing thing, um, you know, under the hood of all the technology that we use in order to generate a fixed length text file to send to some of the societies that we work with, or even potentially a fax if you're looking to send things to Japan, you know, it, it is mental. However, <laughs> um, the difference is, is that we really can make a difference in that in-between period. So our technology team are completely autonomous from the rest of the business because they're building a product that isn't just for centric, it's for the industry as a whole. But the benefit really, and they are unique in the position that they are building a product where they have a client in-house that can give them all the insights that they need to know but they have complete autonomy over the tools and technologies that they use, the methods of implementation, et cetera. Um, Our tech team are really, really big on the 10% time that they have and they use. So we are very rigid and that that really isn't sacrificed under any amount of pressure or circumstance because we are so focused on looking at new tools and technologies. Um, Not to say that we are changeable on one of those companies that regularly shifts and swaps but one of the things you know looking at the financial data and the financial reporting um to give you an idea of the the level of data that we work with so we work with a a digital collection society so they collect digital royalties for our behalf around the world so say zach you've written a song for ed sheeran um again we'll go with that um seven writers i think on galway girl <laughs> everyone thinks it was just him but there we go so you you own 10 percent of galway girl so um we're collecting those royalties for you every time that song is streamed in any territory you know you are owed those royalties 
every month we might receive a file through with all the detail about the dates that we've collected royalties for you, how many streams you've had and what territories, what rates these have been calculated on. Um, and there might be a million lines of data, no joke. Obviously times that by two and a half million songs, it becomes incredibly big. Um, we then work with different levels of client as such. So we might have somebody who is a new singer-songwriter who writes in the back bedroom, as I mentioned before, right through to, you know, we look after big copyrights and, and songs that are well-known, such as, you know, Candy Statton, Young Hearts, Run Free. We have the big old classic Ghostbusters, et cetera. You can imagine the amount of data we get through from them. Um, but they want to know different things. You know, if you're gigging at a local pub, you want to know how much you're being paid for each performance in the UK. Whereas, you know, Ghostbusters, they really want to drill into each territory. Where's the money coming from? Because they've got multiple different types of income coming in. How's that being generated? So trying to display and use this data in a meaningful way, um, you know, the tools and technologies that we have to use to get there has been a real challenge, but one that our development team have really enjoyed. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's amazing, it's, isn't it? When when you said um, you know all we do is produce fixed length text files, I think that's all the internet is, isn't it? Surely <laughs> that's all Google do. That's everyone producing. I know, but you know, registering one song in a territory. Yeah. So if we wanted to register your song, you have to give them you know a significant amount of data to make sure that's unique codes. You know, all different types of are you a composer, are you an author, are you what's your percentage share on that? What does the complete share picture of that composition look like? Are there any alternative song titles? Who are the performers on that song? You know, it's not insignificant, but our job and our responsibility as centric is to make that simple for artists. Can I come back to one other point that you sort of said uh, in passing? Not in passing, it's I think it's a key point. You're saying 10% time and that also how you protect it. So Great to hear that you do 10% time and fantastic to hear that it's really well protected and that you really, you know, pretty much strong arm people into doing it. What are people using that time for generally? I think it's um, a real mix, really. So our team, our development team, we don't segregate people by skills or roles or responsibility. So we have two squads at the moment that are working on concurrent work streams. Um, we have a very good head of products um, who manages those. But it's a combination, really, of it's always with, without sounding too sort of commercial and like I'm cracking a whip, it's always with the business or the products in mind. So it's always, you know, let's discuss this is a particular challenge that we're looking at or I want to look at new tools for this or the way that we're doing this process. Um, but there's completely free reign on how um, they would approach that or what they want to get out of that is always sort of a team decision and that that knowledge is shared but because all our developers in theory or even our you know our tech architect lead developers share responsibility of things like devops the actual development and implementation um the tech architect is very good at working with the rest of the team because naturally we have people who know things so like the apis and as an example there might have been somebody who was particularly instrumental in designing those um but in theory, any one of our team could work on any part of the product and competently 
work on that so we don't sort of split this 10 percent time by say okay you look at devops you look at you know new front end tools you look at the financial reporting tools if anything we use that time to knowledge share and 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 share that between the team cool and do, does anyone use it to like spin up a new pro- project or an idea or sort of spike on something they want to learn absolutely yeah we've um you know our board are very invested in technology but we don't have a developer on the board so naturally with any kind of technology um with new concepts like well it's not really a new concept it was new at the time we implemented it for us um but looking at 10% time to say okay our our team for 10% of the time isn't going to do any product development but the justifications that we have now we use so many of the tools so like Elasticsearch as an example is one of the the tools that we use for our financial reporting and the methods and ways that we've been able to implement that have solely pretty much come from 10% time it was suggested by one of the team you know they tried it with a few others and then that almost has been productized into its own module now Um, I say module because it it goes so cohesively with what we're working on but then we have other products as such which have come from the back of 10% time that are more industry focused like contract generators or you know our dev team quite rarely having worked in a number of dev teams are all very good at having a product's focus they don't come in every day and think this is the work that I'm going to do and I'm going to learn some new technology from it. They come in and think this technology is really going to help better the product that I'm working on. And I'm really invested in helping artists. And this, what may seem small or, um, you know, minor piece of work that I'm doing is going to have a greater benefit because they are so integrated with the rest of the business and the products as a whole. That's, that's great to hear. And obviously it, it sounds like if they're, if they're into the product, they love it. And it's something we've discussed before. If you love the work you do and, you get meaning out of it, then you do come to work with that that flipped mindset where I've seen this tech and I can see where it would, where it's applicable in my line of work, where the problem it could solve. So that's Absolutely. fantastic. Day. Yeah. And, you know, we are one of our biggest clients ourselves. Um, so they can see the tangible benefits. They can see, you know, Kate and Marianne who are working in the, the administration and the copyright teams. They can see that it halves the time and the amount of frustration that they're able to do things they can see that our royalties team are able to offer, you know, predictive royalties or, um, you know, forecasted royalties or do things in a much better way. And they sit in a relative area to them where they witness that. And that, that is so motivating for them as a team. Do you, I mean, I know we talked about diversity earlier on in the, in the podcast, this diversity an important part of the, the business at Centric. Absolutely. Um, so we are 50-50, male and female, which is brilliant. Um, something I'm really passionate about. Our management team as well is 50-50. Um, we have a very extensive equality and diversity team. And I say extensive because I've seen um, a lot of equality and diversity teams who have all the best intentions as they do, but they never either really get the backing from the business that they deserve or you know the the gravitas behind them really from the people that they need to get to to make a difference centric D team are bought in and we have people at all levels who are in that we look at external consultants regularly to moderate us um 
it's something that I would say makes us really unique because we do put our money where our mouth is in terms of initiatives, all our recruitment processes. Um, you know, we ask everybody to complete diversity forms that we look at the language that we use in advertising, where there are discrepancies inevitably really with technology um, and quality diversity, we make a really extensive effort to level the playing field in some capacity, whether that's looking at where we advertise, how we advertise, um, looking at training and support systems to make sure that we're attracting a really diverse team. Yeah, consider, I mean, it's a long journey, isn't it? It's not this sort of the lack of diversity in tech and, um, and elsewhere isn't something we're going to fix. Fix is the wrong word probably here, but something we're not going to be able to address overnight. And it's a long, long journey. And it's, you know, I think something that's quite important is that you've got it in at the board level that that then is helping to drive the conversation and, you know, pass it, pass it along to team. And again, I would imagine your team are very much behind it as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And even things like um, we reviewed all the language that we use in technology um, recently with the whole understanding of the, the passive language that's being used. Uh, and when, when Black Lives Matter, um, we really wanted to review because we looked at actually how does that feed into my individual responsibilities and just simple things like naming um, the naming of the word master branches, you know, that, that came from language that we wouldn't support in this day and age. And we would never want to support if we really reviewed how we spoke about things. And is that a way that was reflective of our working practices? So it's good that we do have the board level support to make changes, but it's drilled right down into, and it's not even drilled right down. It's very proactive, right from every single person in the business to review their working practices, what they bring to their position how are they behaving in a way that's inclusive and diverse and living and breathing those values? That's great. Did you, did you have to do anything around for maybe educational piece within the business or to, to help, help spread the message out and to get sort of help people understand how supportive you were of the changes? Absolutely. Yeah. So we um, recruited an E&D team, which was um, self nominated to make sure but then we also looked at you know who was involved in that E&D team to make that diverse but when um, we gave the team an entire day to research to understand and to really reflect upon uh, Black Lives Matter at the time um, but we didn't want to do it in a way that was conclusive because that was the wrong way to look at it. So we, we wanted to do things in a way that was to seek to understand and then continually review our work practices. So we have um, regular scheduled meetings that are held accountable with, um, I'd like to say KPIs, but you know they are, they are objectives which we would like to meet. And that team really help us get there. They moderate things like interview processes for us. Um, I think it's quite we I think we did a report recently actually um I say this with not much um confidence because I'm actually only part-time back from maternity leave at the moment um so I'm back full-time as of next week but that's something that I know we did a report 12 months on the actions and the progress that we had made and something we are continually committing to and will report on both to our artists whether that's looking at what opportunities and what demographics we're able to fully represent um 
and where we're not currently able to represent how we go about rectifying to make that a level playing field um, right through to our team and our staff and our, our, our team profile and the opportunities that we seek. That's amazing. No, it's, re- it's really good to hear. And, and yeah, it's, it sounds like it's it's something you haven't just said, hey, we're doing this and we're drawing a line when we've done. It's yeah. very much a process that you have started, a journey you've started. And um, it's great to hear that. And I'm sure uh, of our listeners could take a leaf out of that book. Um, I know we've talked a lot about your you and sorry about your business, right? maybe not quite as much about you. So I, I am yeah. keen to hear more about you. And, you know, and I suppose advice you might have for anyone uh, you know you've been very successful there's no doubt and getting into the position you're in any advice you'd give to anyone looking to get into that kind of senior role what uh, what you would say to them starting out um that's very kind of you i am definitely one that suffers relatively with imposter syndrome though so um and actually i think that is a combination previously of being female in a male-dominated industry in tech I would definitely say I have experienced more criticism and more dismissal than I see my male counterparts. But go to go back to your original question, what advice would I have for people? Um, I don't know, probably going back to my imposter system, I'm not sure I can add much of value really. I, you know, I try to work really hard and I try to always be incredibly fair and understanding and flexible. And I never, or I would like to say that I've never sacrificed or compromised on my personal morals in order for a business. So luckily, you know, it's very rare that I have been put in an opportunity like that. And any opportunity where that that situation may have presented itself has been dealt with very well with my employer. But, you know, I've been at tech events where somebody has genuinely walked up to um, the stand and offered to paid money to spend time with me or dismissed me as you know any kind of credible member of staff because I was female or I remember one time actually I was at an event over in Barcelona and I had to text my line manager and tell him to to come I say line manager was one of the parts of the business to to come and get me because somebody was physically touching me and I was very uncomfortable with it and those businesses you know that was one of the, the clients who were very significant to that business and they stood behind me and said this is not behavior that we accept or tolerate actually and because of this we will not be continuing to do business with you so I've been very fortunate in that aspect that I've had those supportive businesses I know not everybody has been afforded those but I would never have compromised on accepting or tolerating that behavior and I think it's really important that you always uh, I don't know opportunities are, are limited for people but align your personal values with the products and the business that you work with. And that's beneficial both ways. That's, that's brilliant. I mean, thank you for sharing those. It is quite shocking to hear that that is still, you know, happens as much as it probably does. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate sharing. I guess coming back to maybe the objections as well, where people are you know, dismissing you. Do you have any particular kind of tact to get to uh, go, well, hang on a second you know, I, yeah, this is, you know, why have you done that? I mean, is there, is there any quick like snaps that you would throw at people or? Yeah, it's difficult because um, I wouldn't say that I lacked in self-confidence. So it's probably easier for me than it is for others who potentially are, are more, 
I'm very uncomfortable with the scenarios, but would find them more difficult to deal with than I do. Um, with anything in life, and Zach, you'll probably attest to this, I always use humour in a way that's very firm. Um, so, you know, if somebody was to come up and say, can I speak to somebody um, about this? And I say, oh, yeah, you know, that that, that would be me that organises this. Or, you know, I look after our products here. What can I help you with? And they go, oh, well, can I, you know, are you responsible for this? You know, I, I just laugh those things off. It's no point getting in, into any conflict, but I am incredibly firm and I don't I don't take it personally. Um, that is a reflection of their morals and ethos rather than it is, you know, centric or myself. Zach, I thought you were going to say something. No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to be that guy who interrupted. No, 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 you go, you go. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so I, that, that's great. Thank you. Thanks again. It really is useful advice, isn't it? I mean, just just take it on the chin to a certain extent, but, you know, respond firmly. And, never accept and, it. And yeah, never accept it. Just to. go, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, what? why would you? Brilliant. Um, and, and maybe just come back to the business then again. Like, I'm I'm a complete outsider in the music business. I don't even listen to it probably all that much music. So are there any kind of myths about around the music business that uh, that you ha- constantly have to dismiss or uh, spell? So I would say the biggest myth is that it's as glamorous as you think it is. And I, I would hope that the demographic of the listeners of this podcast with the word tech in uh, would understand that I find the things that we can use the data for to do the glamorous side of things. <laughs> so that for me gets me very excited when I look at the value we can add by the ways that we do things. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not sex, drugs, rock and roll, is it? We in the office finish at five, six o'clock every night. And don't get me wrong, there's always somebody that's will go for a drink and it's, you know, there's loads of social events as in normal times, um, as many gigs as you can attend, and that that's brilliant. But we are a normal working company that delivers things in an agile, logical, reasonable way. Yeah, it's not, you know, <laughs> it's not rock and roll. It's not. Gla- it's not as glamorous as. Well, it is very exciting. Yeah, but it is very exciting. Yeah. But from a tech perspective, <laughs> yeah, and- <laughs> among others. Yeah, I think of it. There's some people on the team who probably do live that lifestyle probably yeah. a bit more than I do the tech team. But you know, with that comes the benefits. That there isn't the 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 record level pressures that you see in when you films when you're looking at we have to launch this album and it has to be a success and it has to go to number one because it doesn't work like that anymore. You know, revenue streams come from different places. You get more royalties to being played on radio two than you do on radio one. You know, if you you might get more royalties performing at certain festivals than you would others that you might not necessarily think. So, um, yeah, not, not as glamorous really. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been fascinating finding out about the music industry, John, hasn't it? So we've gone from, from bingo to digital agencies to online uh, retail e-commerce businesses to now the music business. And I've got to say, it's got to be one of those that's right up there. Fascinating how it's probably changed over the years, how technology is basically driving it. And, you know, from my comment of, uh, you know, iPods are even a thing and you guys basically telling me that I'm archaic, but there you go. <laughs> uh, um, to where we are today, you know, and how easy it is to stream music. You know, like you say, literally Alexa, play this and, and then it comes on. I probably shouldn't have said that because you'll probably start playing something. Um, 
But yeah, it's been fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. John? Yeah, just to, re- to repeat that, it's been absolutely brilliant talking to you, Sabine. Uh, really got a lot out of it, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Um, so for our listeners, if you do want to get in touch with the podcast, uh, get in touch with us on LinkedIn, either directly through myself or Zach, or through our LinkedIn page. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much for having me.